Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I sit down with Jane McClelland. Jane is a long-term survivor of stage four cancer. She is a former chartered physiotherapist who worked in the NHS and in private practice for 12 years. She is an award-winning author of How to Starve Cancer, in which she describes her journey through cancer and her battle with infertility. She is best known for her Metro map, a simple diagram of the complexity of cancer metabolism and for bringing the new approach of ferroptosis to the public. Because of her efforts to educate cancer patients since 2004, Jane was awarded Amazing Woman Global 2019 Lifetime Achievement Award. She has also recently won the UK Health Radio Award 2022 for Cancer Services. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Jane, but before I do, just a couple things to mention. First, a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. And second, I want to take a moment to thank the Carl Felt Center, who makes the show possible. Hi, Jane. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm so looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. And I have to give a shout out to Lynn because she said you have to interview Jane. So thank you. Thank you to Lynn. Yes, Lynn's great. I've talked to Lynn many times and hopefully going to keep her um, going for a long time. Uh, She's another cancer survivor. So, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. She's a listener of the podcast and she gives me great recommendations. Well, you know, first, I would just love to hear about your journey. I know you had quite the journey with cancer. Mm. Yes. And it started a long time ago now. So uh, we have to go all the way back to 94 and um, it went on for 10 years. So during that time, it started off with cervical cancer and then it spread to my lungs in 99. uh, And then it went to myelodysplasia. And so at at every point I had to sort of up my game level, if you know what I mean. And certainly at the beginning, hadn't got a clue about complementary or anything else that would actually help me at all. Um, I was so depressed because I was only 30 at the time when I was first diagnosed. And and that to me, um, you know, I desperately wanted to have a family and I just got started in a new relationship with now my husband. But, you know, at the time it was like my world came crashing down around my shoulders. I thought, that's it. That'll be the end of my relationship. I'll never have a family. I'll never be attracted to men anymore. I'll never have 
you know, I just felt my whole world had totally imploded. And, you know, thank God, Andrew stuck by me all the way through. And um, eventually we had kids through surrogacy, which is amazing. Amazing. Incredible woman called Tabitha. Two children. She gave birth to, to both. Um, but all the way through, it was a, um, a, a really big journey of discovery from not just looking at the uh, normal complementary things. I really started looking into the use of off-label drugs as well. So these are drugs that are not normally used for cancer, but they have other anti-cancer effects. So metformin, for example, which is normally used for diabetes, does have many anti-cancer effects. Uh, so it blocks many different pathways and it stops something called gluconeogenesis because one of the big things that oncologists will always tell you when you start off and you say what about my diet they say oh just eat anything you like all right exactly then you say well i want to um cut sugar out oh there's no point cutting sugar out because your body makes its own sugar and yes it does so even if you drop cancer uh, the the sugar content down in your diet right down to a very low level your liver turns fat and sometimes protein as well back into sugar to pump back into the system. And metformin is one of those drugs that will actually stop the liver from doing too much of that. So actually, you're still keeping the glucose levels low, even though you're doing a sort of a, a, a low glucose diet. So that's why these off-label drugs can be particularly useful. I also used uh, a statin, which most people know as, um, you know, lowering cholesterol. Uh, a lot of people have huge problems with statins. They think they're the worst drugs on in the world. There are some people who really hate them so much. And these are more the cardiologists who are very anti the statins. But for cancer, they have very differing effects. And actually, one of the things they do is drop something down called CoQ10. Now, CoQ10, if you have a heart problem, you need to have CoQ10. It's quite useful to have a statin plus CoQ10. But actually, if you have cancer, you actually need to drop down some of your key antioxidants. And CoQ10 is one of those key antioxidants that actually will um, potentially stop chemo working, stop a lot of things working. And, you know, I have a book, but anyway, one of the chapters in my book is about uh, ferroptosis, which is a new way to kill cancer. We can discuss that if you want, but it's one of the things is to make is a pro-oxidant effect. It's what I call a kill phase. And this is actually creating oxidant levels. Um, ferroptosis is using iron and uh, making, not that you should take iron, but it makes iron react with certain things and it releases oxygen. And of course, cancer hates oxygen. It kills it. So this is one of the reasons you actually uh, can create a new way of cell death. And, and CoQ10 is really important because your body will actually use CoQ10 to stop that process happening. And it seems to be that ferroptosis is a way to get long-term remission from, it's still very early days, but I see people go into remission when they've done a ferroptosis phase, doesn't seem to come back, you know? And how amazing is that? That's incredible. Yeah. And that, that's what we want. We want long-term remissions. We don't want just a quick, you know, short-term blast. Little, This will get you better for a few months. No, 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 no. We want long-term remissions from this disease. And, we, you know, I, 
I would say that um, starving cancer is a way to, uh, which is kind of slightly different to killing the cancer with this pro-oxidant effect. Starving cancer by using low glycemic diets and things like that is, is a way to actually control the growth and to stop it growing as quickly. You can starve it to death. Uh, you need quite a lot to do that, or you need to get the right combinations in order to do that and to work out what your cancer is feeding on, because different cancers feed on different things. So some cancers are very strongly glucose driven, but not all of them. Some of them actually survive on, or, or they're very glutamine addicted, which is an amino acid, or some of them are actually very fat addicted even as well. So, you know, it does depend on the type of cancer uh, as to what you need to focus on. But um, And those can change at different times, right? Yeah, well, depending on the stage. So, for example, prostate cancer actually starts off, it's very fat-driven. Uh, it loves cholesterol. And actually, you need to block oxphos, which is your normal uh, process of making ATP in your, you know, that's the energy currency that you normally make in your mitochondria. Now, instead of starving the fermentation uh, which is, you know, the one that everybody knows about is the Wahlberg effect, which is this fermentation that cancer goes through. That doesn't happen in prostate cancer until it's much more advanced. So it's much less driven by glucose until it's stage four. So it's a very different kind of, that's that's a generalization. There are mutations in the prostate cancer, which will actually make it more glycolytic or more glucose driven. But generally speaking, most cancers are, are more glucose driven and they become more glutamine addicted as they get more aggressive. But actually prostate cancer is the other way around. It's more glutamine and fat addicted and then it becomes uh, more glucose addicted as it gets more aggressive. Yeah. And can you get tested? I mean, is there tests to so you can figure that out? Um to be honest, you have to look through the research because they've done it. They've, you know, and, and it, your type of cancer will be on the Internet. And because this is still a relatively new field, there are some rare cancers that won't have any clue what drives them, you know. And it is a bit of hunting and searching just to try and work out the kind of things that are really driving your cancer. But it's out there. And you've also got to work out with your mutations, you know. You have uh, some very key mutations that will actually mean that your cancer is being driven in a particular way. You've got KRAS, you've got BRAF. If you have a BRAF or BRAF mutation, that means it's much more fat driven. A MYC mutation means it is both glutamine and fat driven. So it depends on what, you know, those, those are all things that I try and, you know, I have an online course, which people love. I try and explain all of that. Um, and it means you can try and work out the kind of pathways that you need to block or what you need to focus on because every cancer is different. There is no one set diet or no standard cocktail that will just treat everybody, sadly. Right. Ketogenic diet has been tested and because it's quite a standard diet that you can instigate, it's quite easy to put together a protocol to test that diet. It doesn't mean to say it's necessarily the best for everyone, but you can see that there are uh, good points in doing that. But it is very hard to follow. And that's one of the problems. And people fail at doing the ketogenic diet. And, and the point about my approach is 
I'm adding supplements and, you know, these off-label drugs, and they will take the place of some of that effort involved in doing the diet. So you don't have to be quite as extreme. You can take some of these off-label drugs. They will pick up the pieces of the sort of diet fails that you may go through. I'm not saying all of them. You still have to be really damn careful about your diet. But I get people, in fact, I've actually had some people say, I haven't adjusted my diet much at all, but I'm still doing really well. So that's great. I'm sure people are listening and thinking, (laughs) wow, this sounds kind of, this sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm sure, you know, I know it's still a process and it's, 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 I want to make life as, our life is not easy for any cancer patient. Once you actually look into all the different things that you can do, wow, there are so many different things. And I did throw a lot of things at my cancer. You know, once you have stage four, I was told it was terminal. And that was back in 99. I thought I only had a few weeks to live. So I was fighting for my life then. I was doing intravenous vitamin C. I was doing lots of supplements and bits and bobs then. And I managed to keep my cervical cancer under control. And my markers were still pretty level. And then I started getting these other symptoms, which was related to the bone marrow cancer that I then had, which was a result of the radiotherapy and the chemotherapy that I had. So that was different. And in fact, the bone marrow and leukemias actually feed more on amino acids. So they are more protein driven. They also use glucose, but that you know, you they also love amino acids. So that was the difference. And I was controlling one, I wasn't controlling the other. So I had to find a different route to try and get rid of that. And that's why I started looking into delving through all these old papers. My background, thankfully, was that I had some medical training as, you know, I've I've worked as a, a chartered physiotherapist in the NHS for years. And I've, you know, I'm surrounded by doctors in the family and stuff. So I've I've been in, you know, thrown into the medical world is familiar to me. So actually delving through research papers wasn't the terrifying prospect that it probably is for a lot of people. Exactly. I was wondering how you discover these off-label drugs. Uh, what delving through articles in and, and back then we didn't have the same access. There was no internet PubMed access, so I was literally looking through magazines and journals and hunting stuff down. And the fact that I actually came across these things is like a miracle, to be honest. You know, and the ones that actually synergize with each other. Again, how would I know that Etodolac, which is, you know, it, it was just fortunate I came across all of these articles. Etodolac is a an arthritis drug, and I knew it had anti-cancer effects, but it's five times more effective when it is mixed with a statin. Now, the statin is not just for reducing cholesterol. It also has anti-inflammatory promise properties as well. And the combination of the two meant that it was killing cancer five times more effectively than just either of those two things alone. And that's the point is building up these synergistic cocktails that suddenly, you know, mushroom into something much bigger. And the dipridamol that I took and the statin that I took, they synergize and they also make a much bigger anti-cancer cocktail. And then the metformin, well, actually, I was initially on berberine, but the metformin, you know, all of these things synergize together and block different pathways. And this is this is what I discovered. It sort of ended up being a cocktail that was just cancer busting, 
not just for the myelodysplasia, but also for the cervical cancer as well, because I started to get my a year later, my um, cervical cancer markers started to rise. And all of my tracking in the past had, you know, linked very strongly to progression of the disease. So my cancer markers were like an immediate signal. That's it. I'm back in trouble again. Um, thank God it just kind of disappeared without. And I didn't when I was taking the drugs, I th- I was really worried about it because I didn't know anybody else who'd done that. Um, I-, I was very much on my own. I was sort of taking this massive leap of faith because uh, I had no clue that it was going to work. I had no clue whether I was going to survive at all. I really thought I was clinging on, but I just thought I, I-, I needed to buy myself the time and these things hopefully would buy me some time. And I give you so much credit because not everyone does that. I mean, you were taking charge of your health. I was and um, taking risks, to be honest. I, I was taking risks up to a point. You know, I, I I didn't just take these drugs without talking to a doctor, checking I wasn't going to have massive interactions or that, that they were going to have um, terrible side effects and things and or put me in a worse position. And, I, you know, I, I had the most amazing uh, integrative. Well, I had several actually, to be honest. But you know, a uh, lovely chap called Dr. Etienne Calibou was someone who really sort of put my mind at rest with all the drugs. And he said, "No, that's fine. Go ahead. You'll be fine." So, like, okay, <laughs> then did it. But you know, he he hadn't prescribed. So he prescribed the diprimidol. I actually managed to get my oncologist to prescribe the atodolac and the statin, which he'd again never done before. But funny enough, she'd been researching some statins. So I went to her and I said, look, I found this in- info on statins, which seemed to uh, put cervical cancer and head neck cancer into stability for seven months just by themselves. But look, if you add this and that, and she said, oh, interesting. I've just been researching statins myself. I didn't know which one to look at. And I said, well, lovastatin, lovastatin is the one you need to look at. And this was the only lipophilic statin that was available at the time. So there are hydrophilic statins and lipophilic. And one's fat loving and the other one's water loving. Um, And it's only the lipophilic ones that really work for cancer. So not every statin works. But anyway, she was delighted that I was bringing her. Oh, that's so great that she was so open. Yeah, thank God. It was like everything seemed to be like a miracle that everything sort of fitted into place and that she was the right person to ask for that. And I was so worried. I just was so worried about asking her. I thought there's no way she's going to prescribe any of this to me, you know, but she did. But I think back then oncologists were far more flexible about the way that they could work. I think the um, I think the parameters in which they have to work these days are, are far stricter. They're far more regimented and people just can't, you know, they can't experiment or even be the doctors that they really want to be. They have to just do as they're told and follow these formulae that they're given. It's a recipe book for for cancer and there's no real art in what they're doing. You know, they have a list of if that they try that, then if that doesn't work, then you try that, and then if that doesn't work, but but really the art of actually practicing medicine is is not it surely you know Doctor Surely should love being able to be a little bit more creative with what they do and to to look at the whole person rather than just it's a lump 
And that's what we're focusing on. Right. And and I feel like it's so fear-based. You know, if you don't do this, you're going to die. You have to do what I am telling you to do. Forced into doing things. And the other thing that really upsets me is that cancer, you know, patients are pushed into surgery so quickly. We've got to cut it out. You've got this thing growing. Let's get it out quickly. If you just take a moment just to actually look at what's driving it, let's start with some off-label drugs that will actually slow the growth and stop it metastasizing because surgery actually stimulates metastatic growth, all right? So just the the, the point of having surgery stimulates inflammation, it stimulates um, a suppression of part of the immune system that's anti-cancer. And there are certain things that you can take like propranolol, um, propranolol or, or cimetidine. And, and these things are actually really good at trying to reverse some of those uh, bad effects that you get on the immune system. So is that good to take before surgery? Is that what you mean? Or in Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there are other things as well. So a statin, for example, uh, also in combination with propranolol. Propranolol is a beta blocker. So kind of if you're all wound up and stuff, it slows everything down. But so it releases it. It's, um, so your body goes into a bit of fight and flight with, with cancer and, uh, the propranolol will calm everything down, but it also has a beneficial effect on, uh, some of the white cells that get really strongly affected. So, um, the myeloid derives, um, suppressor cells in, in the, in the bone marrow and stuff that actually cause cancer to progress and surgery makes these much more active and they suppress your natural killer cells, but you can reverse that. Propranolol and cimetidine. Cimetidine, I would say, particularly post-op, really useful for 10 to 12 days post-op will help you enormously. But, you know, there are the, the, the statin is also very useful. Metformin probably would be useful as well, but there are other anti-inflammatories that are really useful because you need to lower. Um, so the statin is anti-inflammatory anyway but in combination with a non-steroidal would be even better. And people worry about giving non-steroidals around the time of surgery. They tell you not to take them or whatever, but actually when you have cancer, the benefits outweigh the negatives. So, you know, there are lots of things that we could do to change the current statistics that we have. And it's just that small window of time right at the beginning which could have massive implications further down the line of stopping progression uh, and stopping people having stage four if they just put a little bit in at the beginning and yet they don't. They go straight for the surgery, ignore anything else that might. It's, it's like, why don't surgeons know this? Right. It's massive. To me, it's one of the biggest, biggest problems we have is that surgeons are not aware that what they are doing can cause the cancer to spread. And yet there are small things they can do, even injecting lidocaine, which is like a local anesthetic thing, also anti-inflammatory. If they injected a bit of lidocaine, just as they were closing the patient up after the surgery, a bit of lidocaine in the area, right? Numb it as well, terrific. But also it's anti-inflammatory, stops the spread, all right? So that, that could just be another little trick yeah, just so easy. So easy. Right. And that's why podcasts like these are so important to get people like you on to educate people. Yeah. And we just need more and more. And do you, I know you have certain doctors on your website um, that prescribe the off-label drugs, right? Yes. 
I've got quite a long list. So that's on howtosolvecancer.com. So I've got doctors all over the world. It's just talking to patients in Switzerland. And I couldn't find one in Switzerland. But anyway, there are uh, there there we've got doctors in most countries around the world now who are familiar with my book and familiar with the sort of off-label drugs that can help um, and can help the patients put together a really good combination protocol to block all the different potential pathways that cancer can just use, you know, because when cancer becomes resistant to treatment, and that's what normally happens when that's what happens when treatment fails, they give you blah, blah, blah. Then they follow it with another drug and then they follow it with another drug. And then, oh, we're really sorry. It stopped working. Point is, is there are many things you can add to those treatments. I'm not saying do something entirely different. You can make those treatments that they give you, even radiotherapy, the chemo, whatever. There are ways that those chemotherapies and the radiotherapy will potentially learn to resist. And those pathways are starting to become known. So you can kind of research, like I was talking to a pancreatic cancer patient today. So we're looking at gemcitabine. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Can you say that again, the name? So we were looking at this chemotherapy called gemcitabine, which is used for pancreatic cancer. And we were looking at the methods of resistance. And, you know, there is something. Uh, so taking astaxanthin will stop gemcitabine resistance. So will EGCG, which is from green tea. You know, there are, there, there are certain things that you look at and you, you realize that actually, and curcumin will help enormously as well. So the, there are certain things that will synergize and stop the can, the um, the chemo from not working. You can make it work so much more effectively if you just know where to look. And it's, it's uh, you know, it's tricky for somebody who's just thrown into the cancer world. It's It's like a rabbit in the headlights exactly and you've got no idea where to go and then you've got all of these weird medical terms being thrown at you it's confusing <laughs> yeah overwhelming yeah yeah it, it is totally overwhelming and probably my book and my online course if you you know it takes a while to get to learn the new medical terms and to understand you don't have to be frightened of them they are just medical terms and even, you know, you don't need to know what the signaling pathways mean. Who knows what step three is really, you know, it's just a signaling pathway. And you just need to know you need to block it. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Step three, need to block it. Metformin. Good, I can understand that. <laughs> Formin will block the step three. That's what you need to know. So you just take that because, you know, it's going to help. But you don't have to worry about what the hell step three is, you just know it is something you need to block. And I think people just get a little bit freaked out when they see stuff that they don't necessarily understand, you know. Oh, for sure. The tumor is only a symptom of cancer, not the cause. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Carlfeld. I'm the owner of the Carlfeld Center in Meridian, Idaho. We specialize in cutting edge integrative oncology care, addressing the cause and not just the symptom of cancer. There are 11 factors you need to address when diagnosed with cancer. To learn more of what they are, get my free ebook when you visit thecarfulcenter.com. Along with the ebook, I will email you a free webinar series 
where world-renowned specialists will tell you what you need to do to address these 11 factors. You'll hear from experts like Jane McLellan, Dr. Paul Anderson, Dr. Neil McKinney, Dr. William Lee, Dr. Nasha Winters, and Dr. Isaac Elias. Don't miss out on this life-saving information. I also offer a free 15-minute cancer consult where we can go over where you are at in your cancer journey and how the cutting-edge therapies we offer can benefit you. Give the Carful Center call at 208-338-8902 or visit our website at thecarfulcenter.com. I wanted you to talk about the cancer stem cell and what that has to do with metastasis, because I think, you know, a lot of people just do standard of care and then they're kind of just waiting like, oh, is my cancer going to come back? And often it does. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the cancer stem cell, um, there's only only a few of them in a tumor box. So if you look at a sort of a, you know, the actual mass of a tumor, only about one in 10,000 of those cells will be cancer stem cells. They didn't even know cancer stem cells existed until the 90s, and they weren't really recognized. And, and still, a lot of oncologists don't even know about cancer stem cells. And that's the worrying thing is, why don't they know? You know, And why don't they? And they've been taught that there are no drugs to target cancer stem cells. And the problem is, is there aren't any new pharmaceutical big blockbusting drugs to come out and beat the cancer stem cells, because actually we've got lots of old off-label drugs that will do the job. And, you know, they're not going to make the pharmaceutical companies loads of money. So they don't shout about it and uh, the doctors don't know about it. So ultimately the doctors don't understand it and they they're not taught they're just not taught and this is it's it's worrying but the cancer stem cell is not rapidly dividing so it's slow dividing so things like chemo and radiotherapy are not going to target it immunotherapy may touch it a bit and you can you can target it a little bit with some of the growth factors and things but it's so things like vastin or whatever but you need to most of those things will still, those are big drugs and they will still learn to resist. So the metformin, the statin, doxycycline, which is an antibiotic, uh, very good at targeting the cancer stem cell in breast cancer uh, in particular. There are lots of off-label drugs which are readily available, um, which can attack the cancer stem cell. And that's my job is to not just get the fast dividing cell, but actually attack that cancer stem cell as well. And that's that's the key. If you don't get rid of that cancer stem cell, that's the cell that learns to mutate, to learn different metabolic pathways, to trigger new genetic mutations, to resist whatever treatment that you've got going on. So if you think about antibiotic resistance, it's very similar. You know, if you take something long enough, your body or, or, or the disease learns to get around it. And this is why we're getting antibiotic resistance all the time. The answer to antibiotic resistance, by the way, is, and everybody thinks we're doomed because antibiotic resistance means that, you know, in the future, we'll all be getting terrible diseases. We'll, we'll all die of simple things, you know. Um, not true if they can work out the right cocktail of antibiotics to put together. So this is, so you have to have a cocktail of antibiotics and it's the same with cancer. So you need to work around the different pathways that it uses 
uh, and to work out different ways to, to make things work. Now, um, something that people may not know is that I also have cystic fibrosis, which is something that I wasn't diagnosed with as a kid because I have two rare genetic mutations that meant it developed later as I got older, which meant I had huge number of lung infections. And then I got all sorts of weird stuff and chest infections. I was taking loads of antibiotics, but I started using niclosamide, which is an antiparasitic. And that made my antibiotics, because I was getting things like pseudomonas, really nasty chest infections. And the drugs they were giving me, well, we're not sure these are going to work. Anyway, I made them work. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you did. Uh, Adding some other stuff. It's the same application. You just you know, you know, there's going to be some resistance some way. So, but niclosamide is a, a an antiparasitic that has some sort of quorum sensing. Don't worry about what quorum sensing is, but it's a way of sort of antibiotic resistance. And just adding the niclosamide, which is an antiparasitic, to my cocktail, boom. And, you know, there's surprise. Oh, we didn't think this antibiotic was going to work. No, well, it did, didn't it? So, <laughs> Well, that's amazing. And it just brings me to how off, like how long can you use some of these things? I mean, are you still on some of these drugs? Oh, I am now on the most amazing cystic fibrosis drugs. So totally different. They're not antibiotics. I, I don't take those. Uh, generally speaking, I don't try and take those um, if I can help it. But no, they about two years ago, they brought out the most incredible cystic fibrosis drugs. Before that, I was coughing all the so a lot of my earlier interviews that I've done since my I launched my book, I didn't even know. So back in 2018, I didn't know I had cystic fibrosis. I only discovered in 2020, yeah, 2020, okay, just before lockdown, I kind of knew I had it. And then Nine weeks into lockdown, uh, I was given the genetic results that I definitely had it. And before that, I would go into these paroxysms of coughing. My eyes would stream. I'd I'd look terrible. I'd look like I had the worst case of COVID going. And no one wanted to be near you. (laughs) You know, so that that was quite tough. I I felt I had to go around with some sort of placard on my chest saying, this is not COVID. I have cystic fibrosis. But then, you know, uh, that that September in uh, 2020, they came out, well, they, they, they allowed permission for me to have these new drugs um, for cystic fibrosis. Oh, my God, transformed my life. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you look great and vibrant. And what about the cancer off-label drugs? I mean, are you still on any of those? Yeah, oh, yeah, I still take those as well. And to be honest, I think they help control a lot of my cystic fibrosis stuff. So... Uh, and then I've upped my metformin again, kind of slackened off, but I've gone back on, you know, and the fibrosis that I had in my lungs, which was developing for the cystic fibrosis, reversed, completely gone. And again, the doctors are going, how did you do that? <laughs> They're probably just amazed by you. <laughs> and lung fibrosis, there you go. Lovely article about how metformin will reverse fibrosis in the lungs. I think it also has to do with a lot of cocktails and things as well. But certainly the um, a lot of what I did and the diprimol, which I take as well, is uh, something that blocks something called MMPs. These are things that hold the matrix around the cell. And what happens is you get sticky fibrotic changes in the matrix. And 
I've kind of stopped some of those things happening with some of these drugs that I've been been taking, you know, they've helped keep me going. Thank God. You know, a lot of these off-label drugs are actually very, very useful. All of the off-label drugs, I think, pretty much will have some anti-COVID effects as well. Um, so the metformin, the statin, you look at all of them, they were like niclosamide, ivermectin. So when I had COVID, I took niclosamide and I took ivermectin. Fortunately, you know, I, I did have to take the vaccines, etc., because I, I felt I had to. I did three. I, I refused the fourth one. Uh, and then I ended up having COVID. And then I took ivermectin and I took niclosamide and metformin. And it literally within about two, I felt dreadful the whole weekend, sort of I was upstairs in bed. I'd ask my husband, can you go and get go and get this from dad? Like my kitchen is like a pharmacy. So I don't know where to find it. So I didn't actually <laughs> take them until I could stagger out of bed on the Monday morning. Uh, and I felt dreadful. Anyway, I staggered down, found them, took my cocktail, literally within about two hours, I was like, boom, back to and niclosamide again was part of that cocktail, the same one that I'd taken to make the antibiotic work better and ivermectin, obviously, but, the, you know, and the metformin. That was a fantastic cocktail for me. Yeah, that's I used ivermectin, too, when I had right. COVID. Did you? And it did seem to help. It did. It's hard. It seems hard to get. That's for sure. I don't know if you have trouble in the UK getting it, but yeah, I, I got mine from somewhere in Germany, I think. <laughs> OK, OK. So, yeah, just before we get into Random Run, I just wanted to ask you, what is your best advice for someone who has been diagnosed with cancer and then also someone who wants to prevent it from coming back? Right. Okay. So for best advice for someone with cancer is research. Just never run into doing the first thing. You almost always have more time than you think. And you have got time to read a book, to sit down, to study some stuff. You know, unless you've got a cancer which is mm -hmm. pressing on a very vital structure like your, you know, and they need to operate to stop it from literally killing you almost immediately. So if you've got something pressing on a, a, a major artery or, or you know, about to do something terrible in your brain, you, you, you have time to do some research. Uh, so do not panic. Take some deep breaths and think, I'm going to learn about this and actually understand that the doctors don't know everything about it. And there are certain things you can do that will actually prevent the whole thing from mushrooming out of control. The earlier you can intervene, the better. You know, I love it when I get to patients before they've had their surgery and I can give them that cocktail. Well, you know, and then and think oh well it's not come back you know oh that was easy maybe I would didn't need them at all and this is the whole thing is that well that's fine I don't care if you think you didn't need those drugs because the cancer hasn't come back has it so you know um terrific but there are so many things that uh, I feel that cancer patients need to know it, it is a big steep learning curve and you don't feel you have to learn everything but uh, one of the things I ask people to do is just, you know, join my Facebook book, uh, Facebook group and um, get in touch with some of the doctors on my website. The Care Oncology Clinic, uh, particularly in the UK, are fantastic. They have really uh, good quality doctors and they'll be able to advise you on all sorts of things. I'm actually interviewing them next week. Excellent. Which doctor? 
Dr. Kuhan? Harry Kuhan. I thought that's yeah, excellent. Good, good, good. Yeah, no, he's lovely. And, you know, very, uh, very knowledgeable doctors. But they have a cocktail of drugs very similar to the cocktail that I took back in 2003, which is why I was so, so delighted to find them. You know, I thought nobody's I I, I was despairing that anybody was ever going to understand what I was trying to do. And it was like, why? Why is nobody doing this? You know, few doctors here and there. But to actually have a clinic that was open to people to go and actually have a study done to actually have a look at the results and see, you know, and to prove to the world that this works. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. I'm just, I'm so grateful for you and being able to spread this message. It's just yeah. amazing. So thank you. Uh, um, now, are you ready for random round? Uh, I can't remember what questions you're going to ask me, but yes, go ahead. That's It's better that way. <laughs> <laughs> Fill in the blank. Freedom to you is... Freedom to me is being able to get on a bike or a horse or just not even worry about my surroundings. Like the other day, I was in Las Vegas. Okay, don't ask why. But anyway, um, I was in Las Vegas and I it was crazy. And I just took the time out. One morning I went horseback riding and the other morning I, I did a cycle ride around the Red Rock Canyon amazing and it the freedom and I just felt completely it was just uh incredible oh. I love the scenery love just the ability to get out there and just do and and one of the things I love is sailing and just being on the sea you can't worry about much else you're on a boat you know you can't can't worry about your taxis or your this or whatever or your kids or whatever else might be worrying you it sounds perfect <laughs> so. The last show you binged and loved? On TV. Wow. There's some weird stuff going on on the TV right now. Like all, all the Netflix series, maybe it's because I've watched some weird stuff and they, they throw up more weird suggestions, but I've been watching, what was it called? Uh, Handmaid's Tale. That's weird. Oh, I never saw it. Okay. Right. Well, I don't think it does any favors to anybody who's thinking about becoming a surrogate. Oh. I discussed that earlier. You know, I was thinking, wow. I hope my surrogate never watches this. This is terrible. But anyway, they're <laughs> all being forced to to have babies for other people, and it's it's awful in a terrible way, you know. And it's just it's a really weird thing. I can't say I enjoyed it particularly, but I did watch it. I'd much rather a light-hearted thing, you know. Uh, I much prefer comedy type of shows. But anyway, that's yeah, like Shit's Creek. <laughs> Shit's Creek I is a good one. That. Is that what I need to watch? Okay, thank yes. you. That's a light to- one. Okay, great. I'll watch that. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? I worry about cancer coming back, not as much as I used to. And I don't really fear an awful lot these days, but certainly back when I was worried that cancer was going to come back. Research, to be honest, knowledge is what used to get me through the fear. Um, And I would delve into stuff and go, yes, and cling on to little things here and there. Somebody survived that. I used to read lots of survivor stories. I'd get as many as I could and put them, you know, I've I've read loads, all sorts of different people surviving cancer. I think it's important. Oh, perfect. With all those positive messages, um, because that's one of the, the, the big things is just lack of hope, you know? So true. Massive destroyer. 
And um, you can get through an awful lot with a bit of hope. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. If you could have a one-hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? Well, I could say all sorts of big scientific names who'd probably interest me maybe for about 15, 20 minutes. I don't know. And then I might get a bit bored. So Rosalind Franklin, for example, or Marie Curie or something like that. But I think I would, I don't know that we'd have very much to talk about after about 20 minutes. I don't know. Well, I probably would, but I I don't know. They're not really the, I think I'd much rather talk to somebody hot and sexy like Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> I don't have to explain that one, do I really? Not at all. <laughs> he doesn't have to say anything either. I just sit there and ogle at him. I wouldn't care. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite go-to snack? Oh, nuts, I'd probably say. Walnuts. I, I tend to have a bowl of walnuts downstairs. I also have some olives, some green olives in a little bowl, which I snack on. Used to hate olives, but actually I've learned to love them. And I think they're quite a nice little snack as well. What's one simple thing that brings you joy? Hugging my kids. Love that. Mm. What's on your nightstand? I have a book which one day I'll get around to reading by my friend Claire Pooley who has written a book called The Authenticity Project. I fact, She wrote it several years ago. She's even written another one. Anyway, she sold the rights to Netflix, for God's sake, for a huge amount of money. Oh. I'm so jealous. Anyway, anyway <laughs> I still haven't read it. I keep reading goddamn PubMed articles on my phone and things. I just need to stop doing that and actually take some time out and read a proper book, you know, fictional book. Spirit me away to somewhere else. Stop looking at stupid TV programs, which are too weird these days. <laughs> uh, you know, focus on that. And also, obviously, I've got my nighttime cocktail of pills. So I still take Diprimol, Statin. I take LDN. I take red yeast rice. I take, you know, there's a whole cocktail of things that I take at night. Um, progesterone, melatonin. That That's all there by my bed. <laughs> yes. Did you say red yeast rice? I think that's what you said, right? Yeah, red yeast rice, which is kind of like a natural satin. It contains lovastatin. Um, you can hardly get lovastatin these days, but red yeast rice has some other uh, interesting benefits as well. So that's part of my nighttime cocktail. Got it. What is your favorite form of exercise? Cycling, I would say. Uh, well, actually, no, probably, I don't know where... Sailing, I guess, when I'm racing. I love that. So I went racing this summer. Uh, first time for a long time. I did a, a, a week's regatta in Ireland. Wow, it's exhausting because we were racing all day and then going out. Well, actually, by the time we came ashore, hit the pub straight away. So it was quite an intense week. Can I just say very intense week. <laughs> so we had a big birthday for my husband during that week and my birthday at the end as well. So um really wasn't uh the easiest week to get through. I'm amazed I survived as much as I did to be honest. But uh incredible because it was in Ireland with some great friends and the social and that's the best way to exercise, isn't it? Mm, sounds perfect. A week-long Week-long party. Amazing. What's one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? Oh, again, my kids, I'd say. 
And how can people find you and learn more? So I have, well, I have my website, obviously, which is howtoselfcancer.com. It's just the site's actually being updated shortly. I obviously have my, I've got Facebook groups. I've got the group one, which gives people a lot of information about off-label drugs, all sorts of info on there, uh, and also supplements and things as well. Uh, I have my How to Starve Cancer Facebook site as well, which goes into more specific starving methods for cancer. Uh, I try and keep that much more focused on that. And then I have... I've got my online course, I've got my book. The book will give you more information about my story, obviously, in, in much more detail and lots of things that needed to be told, like trying to fix my gut and lots of different aspects which we haven't discussed. But, you know, it's... I might have to have you back on because <laughs> there's so much to discuss. Oh, there's a huge amount to discuss. And uh, it's a massive topic. That's the problem. It is huge, which is why, you know, I have a very in-depth, comprehensive online course because uh, people read the book and go, oh, not sure I understand all of that. But that's OK. You know, it doesn't matter that you don't understand it all. And and even oncologists don't understand it either, you know. And I have many doctors who do my online course, uh, not just patients, you know, and that's great. And I love that. That's so great. If they can be on board with the patient. Yeah, yeah. And um, and that's terrific. And the more we can get, the better. And I, I love the fact that, you know, I, I do have more doctors writing to me. And that one of, you know, one of the great things is when they write to me and say, I've done this, the patient's getting so much better. I can't believe this has worked. And look at what you've done. I think it's amazing, you know, and they actually say how come no nobody's ever thought of this before or put it together like you have or you know I love that I love that you know it's it's like the light bulb has gone on for them and that's terrific oh well thank you so much for your work and for what you're doing people are have never heard of this I'm sure that are listening so they're going to be just gobbling up this information taking notes so thank you so so much Jane Pleasure, Haley. Pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.